following programme contains truths, half-truths and nothing like the truth. This fictional comedy is based on highly unlikely apocryphal rock and roll tales and any resemblance to actual events is purely coincidental. For silly rights reasons, we've had to take all of the original tracks by the band out of this podcast. Hello, this is Rockinori. Rock and roll stories for people who don't have or need a bedtime. This is Status Quo and the Kangaroo, Chapter 1. Once upon a time in the mid-1980s, a tour bus was travelling through the Australian outback. This bus contained the ponytailed and bedenimed members of a legendary rock combo called Status Quo, who were on their way to their next gig. Now, as you would expect from such famously level-headed fellows, they were sitting calmly and quietly in their seats, whilst admiring the spectacular sun-bleached Antipodean landscape all around them. The band were particularly relaxed, having recently solved the problem of world hunger by performing at a hugely successful concert called Live Aid. Anyway, as they cruised along the desert highway, cool wind from the bus aircon in their long hair, status quo were feeling confident that their recent problem-solving experience would enable them to handle just about anything that life could throw at them. And if you look out the left side of the bus, you'll see a beautiful example of a Laurentia Helmsy plant. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I think that's definitely worth a picture. And the super interesting thing about it is that although it looks like a cactus, in fact, there are no cacti native to Australia. Oh, jeez! Whoa, whoa, whoa! And what life had thrown at them here, 300 miles from the nearest town, was a kangaroo. They all knew what kangaroos were. Their tour guide had pointed out several of them only that morning and lead guitarist Francis Rossi had already taken plenty of photos of the marsupials. In fact, he was pretty sure he'd got a shot of one scratching its ear with its leg like a huge squirrel and maybe another one where he'd look right at the camera, although he might have been a fraction too slow pressing the button. Either way, all the members of Status Quo agreed that it had been a great idea to employ a proper tour guide on this tour. They were learning so much about Australia. But although this had been a large and heavy kangaroo, unfortunately it had met now a much larger and much heavier bus, which had had to break suddenly, causing keyboard player Andy Bone to spill a glass of elderflower cordial all over his lap. Oh! Feeling a bit shaken, the whole band piled out onto the road to have a closer look. It was not a pretty sight. Blimey, it really took a hit. Francis, I really don't think you should be taking pictures of this poor thing. What would the chemist think when he develops the film? Sorry, Rick. You took some very nice ones earlier. The one scratching his ear like a huge squirrel was particularly good. (laughs) If it comes out. (laughs) So now, status quo had a new problem to solve. Not as big a problem as world hunger, but a problem nonetheless. What to do with the room? Because it was as plain as day that this noble, bouncing creature had very much just bounced its last bouncy bounce. After all, it had just had a 20-tonne luxury tour bus slam into its sternum at 130 kilometres an hour, enough to stop anyone bouncing. After a short while, the band solemnly agreed that they should bury Skippy, the late kangaroo. But sadly, there was no shovel to be found anywhere on the tour bus. Quo were in quite a quandary. But it was at this very moment, after staring hard at the prone mammal, then staring even harder at his colleague's wet jeans, that rhythm guitarist and forceful singer Rick Parfit had a brainwave. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. And I'll be telling you what his idea was and what happened next in tomorrow's episode of Rockinori. Hello, this is Rockinori. Rock and roll stories for people who don't have or need a bedtime. This is Status Quo and the Kangaroo, Chapter 2. 
In the last episode of Rock and Ori, I was telling you all about a British rock band called Status Quo, whose tour bus collided with a kangaroo somewhere in the Australian outback. The sudden impact had spilled a non-alcoholic drink onto keyboard player Andy Bounds' jeans and had spoiled lead guitarist Francis Rossi's photograph of a plant that looked like a cactus but actually wasn't. The boys got out to survey the damage and discovered that, sadly, the plucky roo's bouncing days appeared to be well and truly over. So what to do? It seems such a shame to just leave it to rot on the side of the road, but fortunately for everyone, rhythm guitarist and lead singer Rick Parfit was ready to take control of the situation. Andrew, why are your jeans all wet? Hmm? Oh, it's elderflower cordial. Don't take photos of his trousers, Francis. That's just rude. Oh, sorry, Rick. And now, apologise to Andrew. Sorry, Andy. Thanks, mate. You know, if you hang the jeans up, they'll dry much quicker. But unfortunately, on their tour bus, there was very much an absence of washing line. What they really needed was some sort of clothes horse, but out here, hundreds of miles from civilization, where were they going to find one of those? Suddenly, Rick realised they'd have to improvise, and if there was one thing that status quo could do better than anyone, it was that. People were always telling them how good they were at improvising. Not one of their guitar solos was ever the same. Rick began to wonder what an Australian clothes horse would look like. Did they even have horses in this country? The band's tour guide certainly hadn't mentioned any. He scratched his head. No clothes horse, he thought to himself. But what about a clothes kangaroo? With a clothes kangaroo, they could dry Andy's cordial-infused leg denim in the baking southern hemisphere sun in no time at all. Well, the rest of the band thought this was a great idea. So Andy removed his jeans and pulled them up the beast's hefty hind legs as his bandmates held them steady. Quo stood back to admire their handiwork. Are you going to take a photo, Francis? Nah, looks pretty weird. Yes, it does. A good fit, though. Francis was right. It looked very weird indeed. In fact, it was making the Quo feel kind of queasy. There was something about this half-dressed kangaroo corpse smelling of elderflower cordial that didn't seem quite right. There was only one solution. Get some more clothes. Francis popped onto the tour bus and returned with a spare denim jacket and a bandana. Finally, bass guitarist Alan Lancaster placed a pair of sunglasses on its face, since the glazed, glassy expression in its dead eyes was starting to unnerve him. I don't like its eyes. Propping up the roux once more, they all agreed that their furry friend was now looking very smart indeed in his new attire. Francis retrieved his camera and the rest of Quo lined up on either side of their roadkill. Okay, everybody, say pile driver. Pile driver. Pile driver. Oh, my eyes hurt. Yes, that flash is rather bright, Francis. Sorry, everyone, but that will be a really good picture. Maybe even good enough for an album cover. Uh, guys, is it just me or? It was at this point that Status Quo's Kangaroo woke up. And I'll let you know what both Mammal and musicians made of this surprising development in tomorrow's episode of Rock and Ori. Hello, this is Rock and Ori. Rock and roll stories for people who don't have or need a bedtime. This is Status Quo and the Kangaroo, Chapter 3. I was telling you all about Status Quo, a band whose tour bus hit a kangaroo in the Australian outback, causing a drink to be spilled and a kangaroo to be killed. For reasons outlined above, the band then put a pair of jeans on the unfortunate animal, followed by a denim jacket, sunglasses and a bandana. But when they all posed for a photograph with their handiwork, well, would you believe it? The roo suddenly woke up. Uh, guys, is it just me or...? It hadn't been killed at all. 
merely heavily concussed, and Francis Ross's camera flash had jolted it out of its vehicle-inflicted stupor. The marsupial suddenly found itself back in the land of the living, reeking of elderflower, wearing unfamiliar clothes, and being held upright by a smiling Rick Parfit, a taciturn Alan Lancaster, and a trouserless Andy Bone. It seemed somewhat irritated by all this, so the ever-inquisitive Francis popped back onto the bus to ask the band's Australian tour guide a very important question. Hi, I was just wondering, are kangaroos allergic to denim? Are they allergic to denim? Yeah. Uh, I'm not actually sure. I don't think so. Why? Oh, uh, no, no, no reason. Just curious. Okay, no worries. So Francis went back outside and saw that the kangaroo was now using its meaty fists and even meatier legs to express its unhappiness with recent events. Alan had been pummeled repeatedly in the stomach and was on all fours gasping for air. Andy, feeling exposed in more ways than one, was trying to stay out of range of the furious furry jabs and Antipodean roundhouse kicks. Meanwhile, Rick, always a cool head in a crisis, had brought down a stylish white Reebok firmly on the animal's tail, but was now at a loss for what to do next. Guys, just, just, just so you know, everyone, I've checked, he's probably not having an allergic reaction. I reckon he's just really angry. Do something, Francis. Righto. Not that. Rick, why don't you just let it go? It's still wearing Andy's jeans. So? We can't get them back now. They're incredibly expensive. I thought we had a denim-based sponsorship deal. We're still negotiating because Big Waistcoat have offered us... Whoa, look out! They ducked as the irate creature attempted to boot their heads into the Pacific. Rick realised that his bandmate was right. The best way for Quo to get out of this sticky situation was to sacrifice the jeans, the jacket, the bandana and the sunglasses and hope that the ruse rage would subside. He took a deep breath, lifted his foot off its tail and dropped to the floor, covering his head with his skilled guitar-playing hands. The kangaroo turned, glared at the cowering musicians through Alan Lancaster's shades and bounded off into the desert. The band watched it until it disappeared behind a large cactus-like plant on the horizon and then, well, they started to laugh. And why not? What a strange encounter it had been. Francis was already thinking about working it up into a song. What could rhyme with kangaroo, he wondered, as he and his colleagues dusted themselves down and strolled back towards the bus. But this is far from the end of the story, because, like the bruised roo that boinged off into the bush, this one's got a real sting in its tail. And rest assured, I'll be telling you all about it tomorrow, in the final part of this week's Rockinori. Hello, this is Rock and Ori. Rock and roll stories for people who don't have or need a bedtime. This is Status Quo and the Kangaroo, Chapter 4. I've been telling you the story of an enterprising gang of rockers called Status Quo who got involved in an altercation down under with a kangaroo. This resilient marsupial had banged into their tour bus, laid a vicious beating on the long-haired Brits and then bounced off, dressed in a denim jacket, a bandana, shades and keyboard player Andy Bounds jeans because... It, Look, if you, if you don't know, you better go back to the beginning and listen to it. Anyway, it had gone. Shaking their heads in bewilderment, Quo headed back to their bus. Andy immediately went hunting through suitcases for a replacement pair of trousers, while the rest of the band settled down in their seats once more. Rick Parfit resumed reading his Secret Seven book. He'd always preferred them to the famous five. Alan Lancaster sat in silence and poured himself an elderflow cordial and Francis Rossi eagerly set to work creating a page in his tour scrapbook for all the brilliant photos he'd taken. Ooh. After a couple of minutes, their tour guide appeared. 
So the good news is that the bus is basically fine. So yeah, we're we're good to go. Uh, excuse me, sorry. So uh, how big are Australian photos in in general? Or well, I'm going to get my film developed tomorrow. How big will the photos be? Oh, um, I. I don't know. Does it say on the camera? Oh, good point. I'll have a look. Oh, my eyes! <laughs> Honestly, oh. Francis, you and that flash. <laughs> no wonder the kangaroo woke up. I wonder where he is now. And if you look over here, you'll see a Laurentia helmsii plant. And that's interesting because although it looks like a cactus, there are in fact no cacti native to Australia. Excuse me, what's that? I'm not sure, it's some way off. I can't make it out. Is it another cactus? Don't be a wallaby, you just heard me say there are no cacti native to Australia. It might just look like a cactus. Getting closer. What is it? That's no cactus, it's a kangaroo. Surely it's dressed too stupid to be a kangaroo. I have a very bad feeling about this. Turn the bus around. Poor little guys bouncing around out there in my jacket. Just one more thing, guys. Has anyone seen the ignition key? Rick checked his pockets. But all he found was half a packet of fruit polos and some green fluff. Alan looked too, but his pockets were always full of broken bass guitar strings. He just couldn't bring himself to throw any of them away. As far as he was concerned, each one told its own story. And he didn't even have any pockets right now, of course, so that left Francis. He looked everywhere. Pockets, shelves, the cracks between the seats. Nothing. And then he had a horrible thought. He remembered going into the bus to get the spare denim jacket and he remembered knocking something on the floor and hastily shoving it into his pocket as he went back out. Was that the key? At the time, he hadn't stopped to look properly. He'd just been in such a hurry to put clothes on that concussed kangaroo. So if it wasn't in his pocket now, had he accidentally put it in the pocket of the denim jacket instead? Surely he couldn't have been that clumsy. Mind you, he had to admit he was a bit clumsy sometimes. His freshly scorched retinas kind of proved that. Uh... Um, what, um, what happens if we can't find the keys? Oh, look, they'll be here somewhere for sure. I'll just have another route around. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, no, no worries. <laughs> Isn't that what Australian people say? Francis, are you all right? You're sweating. Do you want some cordial? Uh, it's fine. I, I'm fine. I was just, I was thinking about, uh, uh microphones. Uh, how, do, how, do, how do microphones actually work? Kind of amazing, really, when you think about it. Um... um Do you think the kangaroo will come back? Oh, I doubt it. He seemed very antisocial. Guys, I can't find any trousers. And so, with status quo stranded on a bus in rural Australia and a mysterious long-legged stranger in shades and extra tight jeans about to absolutely tear through the local dating scene, this story must now draw to a close. Amazingly, the band did actually make it to their next gig on time. Of course, I know how they did it, but maybe it's more fun if you try to figure it out for yourself. Until next time on Rockanori, so long, take care, and remember to keep one eye on that distant horizon. You might just see a rockin' root. Or a plant that looks like a cactus but isn't one. Goodbye. Rockanori was written by John Holmes and Gareth Keredig. The narrator was Sean Keaveney, with the voices of Alistair Beckett-King, Naomi MacDonald and Jake Yap. Original music by Jake Yap and Nick Bosworth. Technicals by Tony Chernside. It was produced and directed by John Holmes and was an unusual production for Absolute Radio, supported by the Audio Content Fund.